got Keith back here in the saddle and you got Dale Weiss over there too. And you know what? We got JP VJ in the room. Let me get out of the way. Those two guys are going to have a chat. We're going to talk hockey, going to talk identity, going to talk life, going to talk transitioning from pro athlete to business guy to coach, mentor, and so forth. Let's introduce Mr. JP VJ, Dale Weiss. Yeah, so Vijay, how about you tell us ourselves? Who is JP Vijay? JP Vijay is an old has-been and a retired former hockey player. Did you always have the dream of being a hockey player? Did you dream of playing in the NHL or was there something else? There was no internet back then. So your <laughs> dream of living in the NHL bubble was totally a dream. We watched Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday nights. That was miles and miles away. I was in my little bubble living in my little world, playing hockey. Speak about your influence of your parents on you growing up. My mom was pretty chill. My dad didn't even put skates on. So basically it was one rule in my dad's eyes. You either work hard or you work hard. The discipline that he taught me became the player who I ended up being. I wasn't always the most skilled. I wasn't always the most talented. But I knew I was going to work pretty darn hard and try and out-compete and out-will everybody on the ice. Let's talk about your first couple years of college. Did you have any idea or any inkling like, hey, you know what, I could be a pro player. Maybe. It didn't uh, probably occur to me till at the end of my third year. What, what was that conversation like with your dad and your mom when you actually signed it? Holy shit, I can't believe this actually happened. I'm just a farmer from down the street. So do I actually belong here? It was in my mind a lot. And I think being naive till that point caught up to me because I never felt comfortable. Even in my last years, I always felt was I good enough to be here? Because hockey, when you get to the National Hockey League, is not just hockey. It is a business. And that is very hard for people to understand. It is way different. The National Hockey League is a business. That's as rudely and as nicely as I can say it. If you had to look back on your NHL career, what's the best moment you can point it to? If you can point it to one. It's got to be the first game. Number two is the first NHL goal. You remember it vividly. There's two stories to my NHL goal. There's my story, then there's the real story. <laughs> <laughs> what was the most difficult thing you went through in the NHL? The business of hockey. I grew up playing hockey because you loved hockey. And the business of hockey at times gets nasty and ugly and doesn't really care who you are. I never really got caught up in the business of hockey. But I think the business of hockey affected me mentally because sometimes I felt the dressing room wasn't always a dressing room environment that I had been used to. I would answer it the same way. It's just not ever what you expect it to be. I think that was the hardest part. And to feel, you always feel belonging in the dressing room. Like the safe haven for any hockey player is the dressing room. We talked about getting to the end of the career, not to the point where it was time to step away and elaborate on that. What were you ready for it? Walk you through it. Yeah, I'm never ready for it. I should still be playing, couldn't you? <laughs> of course. I'm still in good shape. I can still play. I'm not in good shape, but I can still play. What was that like where you're trying to still chase your dreams, you can still play physically and mentally, but your family's pulling you the other way? What was that struggle like? It's the best of both worlds. You want to play and have your family support you because without one, there isn't the other. So it's a pretty quick realization. It's just not going to happen. Time to move on. What skills did you take from being a hockey player that you now use in your business? Two things that you can only control. How hard you work, how much effort you put into it. I'm the face of the company. I'm the one that talked to everyone. I make sure I work hard. I don't expect anybody to work harder than I do. Staff are there. I'm the lead. They take off my lead. So if I slack, they have the opportunity to do the same.
Anything that you would have told yourself or if you could go back to the last couple of years to play, enjoy the ride. I think you're so stuck in the moment that you are busting your butt. You are focused on yourself. I think enjoying the ride is something, especially at the National Hockey League level, I didn't do. I was so worried. I was so perturbed. I was so stressed out that there were days you don't even sleep because you're scared of being sent to the minors. So I think enjoy the moment and don't worry about the business. But that's hard when you get to that level, as we discussed. All right, we're back. You got Keith back here in the saddle, and you got Dale Weiss over there too. And you know what? We got JP Vijay in the room. And the Chief Bapley here's got a confession. So we've done this already. Yes. You're going, we did this already. Yeah, we did this already. I got some behind-the-scenes footage of those guys sitting over there. A lot of good stuff. But then, as I went to edit it, as you guys know, the audio didn't work. So we're back for round two. That was just the rehearsal. All great artists like Kiss. Hey, we sir, Kiss and Motley Crue, all those good bands that do lots of rehearsals in front of nobody so they can do great stuff in front of people. So that's our mantra. We did some good stuff in front of nobody, but we're going to do some great stuff today. So I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to slide JP Vijay in, going to slide Dale Weiss in. Those two guys are going to have a chat. We're going to talk hockey, going to talk identity, going to talk life, going to talk transitioning from pro athlete to business guy to coach, mentor, and so forth. So I'm going to get off the stage. I'm going to welcome in this guy right here, Mr. Weiss. Morning, buddy. How are we? Good, man. So we did this before, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We had a real, real good rehearsal, too. I, oh. I felt like a member of KISS that has ran through the rehearsal. So we should be able to hammer this now, I would think. Yeah, thank, thanks for rubbing that in. There you go. I think you can see everybody <laughs> in the picture, but uh, no that's that camera up there, Veej. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off the screen here once I figured all my camera situations here. I'm going to flip this one here. This There we go. So I'm going to get off here. I'm going to flip it over to him. You guys go out of town and have a good chat. And uh, I enjoy it. I'll sit back and enjoy it and jump in where I feel is necessary. All right. Beautiful. Let's, I let's appreciate in, it. Let's introduce Mr. JP Vijay Dale Weiss. Yeah. So Vijay, I could sit here and I could do a wonderful intro of you as I, I learned quite a bit about you last time, actually. But uh, for our listeners, how about you tell us ourselves? Who is JP Vijay? JP Vijay is an old has been and a retired former hockey player. That's what I'm the old, about an hour, 15 minutes. West of Winnipeg, small farming community, grew up on a farm, still have farming in the blood. I don't live on the farm. There's no business out there for an old hockey player like me, but really, uh, you know, love the game, play the game and, and go from there. You speak about identity. I know we talk about it a lot and, and we spoke on it last time. You identify yourself as a has-been, which you are yeah. not. Yeah. I seen you out there on the ice. You still got it. I seen you. Um <laughs> So tell me, if you're meeting somebody, let's say you're out coaching and you meet somebody, do you identify yourself still as a ex-hockey player or now are you a coach? More of a coach. I would define myself more of a skills coach. The difference I define between a skills coach and a coach, the coach is worried about line combinations, matchups, game inventory. I'm worried about skill development on the players and how that skill development relates into the coach's game and what skills we're going to use to help the coach have more success with his players. So I don't always look at the forecheck and the penalty kill. I'll look at the skills within those units, right? What identifies the players to have more success in certain situations and help them develop those skills to have them be more successful. So the coach has more tools to use during the year. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, let's flip back. So growing up, did you always have the dream of being a hockey player? Let's say four or five years old, you start skating like every Canadian kid. Did you dream of playing in the NHL or was there something else? I really, I'm going to date myself. There was no internet back then. So your <laughs> dream of living in the NHL bubble was totally a dream. We watched Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday nights with dad, a bowl of chips, some popcorns, right? And so on. But it was cool. And that was miles and miles away. I was in my little bubble living in my little world, playing hockey. I remember my dad's first story. He said, I begged him to play hockey and I begged him to play hockey. He took me on the ice for, the, for my first skate. I fell on my butt. I cried. I told my dad, these skates are broken. I don't want them anymore. <laughs> and if you know my dad, he's a stubborn man. So I had said I wanted it. So he pushed me to it. And the rest was history. Fell in love with the game. And a step-by-step -step approach, I think, ended up, it's maybe a little naive in my eyes, but was the easiest way for me to live in the moment. I wasn't focused on getting to the WHL or the NHL. I was just playing in that moment and really enjoying that time. Growing up in a rural community, there are no tryouts. There is one team. You have some good players, some average players, some beginner players on the team as you, and your uh, obstacles right now through life with your kids. We went through that and just learn and play. And my first tryout happened when I was 16 years old. I went to AAA, the Pemina Valley Hawks, and I thought I had a pretty good camp, but they cut me. So I ended up going to high school that year. And, and, and from there, hockey just became a year-by-year -year approach. We had a real good hockey team as a high school team. Three or four communities come together, had a real successful year as a team and individually. We didn't win uh, the championship, but we put up some good things and did some good work. From there, Portage Terriers gave me a letter in the mail, and I thought, oh, this is going to be one of those cash grabs. I'm going to go. We're going to get our feet wet, and maybe junior is something we can do. And Marshall Kennedy and Bob Miller, who were the coaches and general manager at that time, I guess they saw something out of a five foot nine, 155 pound forward because they kept me. So I skipped the AAA route and went right to junior. And that was a, a very trying, difficult year because at the time, there weren't too many five foot nine, 155 fourth liners in the MJHL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't expect there to be very many. Yeah. Yeah. So that, it, was, it was a learning experience. I went to school in a French community. So I commuted every day because I couldn't be billeted in and go to full English school. I wouldn't have graduated my grade 12. My English wasn't good enough. So I commuted every year. And I believe in four or five months, I put just under 50,000 kilometers on my car. That's wow. six or seven days a week of traveling. It's 47 minutes from my parents' house to the hockey rink in Portage at the time, which is the old Centennial Arena. And that was done every day there and back six to seven days a week. So it was quite, quite the learning experience, quite the maturing. A lot of time on my own listening to the radio and trying to stay awake late at night. <laughs> that's an insane amount of mileage. Wow. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that's so let, let, let's talk about your parents growing up a little bit. I speak of your dad kind of pushing you when you were younger. I know we, we spoke about it a little bit. I, I think my dad was very similar, very hard. If you were going to be out there, you're going to work hard. I don't care how skilled you are, but you're going to be the hardest worker. And I think we share that in common. Uh, speak about your influence of your parents on you growing up and maybe talk to the parents that you see now maybe that are a little too involved or what's the best scenario yeah, to help your kid enjoy it? So my mom was pretty chill. She was pretty quiet. Really, she had been a figure skater for a little bit and skated rec rec recreationally. She didn't really play. She played softball and other sports, which she was good at. My dad didn't even put skates on. He, he could probably skate, but never played hockey. So 
basically was one rule in my dad's eyes. You either work hard or you work hard. And if I don't feel you're working hard, I'm going to let you know. <laughs> and the good or the bad. Right? But I think if you look at it, the discipline that he taught me became the player who I ended up being. I wasn't always the most skilled. I wasn't always the most talented. But I knew I was going to work pretty darn hard and try and outcompete and outwill everybody on the ice. And that was one of my strengths growing up as a player is my determination and my battle. Uh, I can go back into as far as sometimes in a small town, your coach is probably one of your dad's buddies or, or so on or someone he hangs out with. And at one time, I remember the coach is giving us a speech between periods and dad just walks in and totally jumps through the coach and gets right in my grill and says, I don't drive all this way for you to put this effort on the ice. He didn't quite use, didn't quite use those words. I think it was a little bit more direct. <laughs> but, uh, I got the message pretty clear. So I think it's quite interesting. And now you go back now, that's 40 some years ago. Now spring forward 40 years and the message to the parents, boy, you know, there's a wide range of messages you give to parents, you know, from the parent is, who is overzealous and is overpassionate and overcares and almost engulfs the player to not be able to play because they're giving him so much information, so much feedback. And, and it's all out there, Live Barn and YouTube and TSN. None of that existed when, when I was a kid. After the hockey game, five minutes, you were done. You didn't have a clue what the score was, what it was. You were got that little ticket. You were going for your hot dog and french fries and your chocolate milk, and you were ready to rock for the day. So I think that's become different where it's very interesting. <clears throat> now, someone asked me this question actually yesterday. And the message I give to parents depends on the parents. Will I tell Wayne Gretzky to not give hockey advice to his kids? Meh. I think he's got it pretty figured out, right? He knows what he's doing. Do I tell a parent who maybe hasn't played as much or doesn't have the experience to play to step back? Maybe, depending on the situation and the player. So I really look on a case-by-case -case basis. Some parents are, are super intense and they're super excited and sometimes that doesn't help their player. Their enthusiasm shies their player away because they feel the pressure. So I tell parents at a certain point, hockey doesn't give a fart who you are. You can buy the jerseys for the team. You can put gas in the bus. That does not earn you a shift, right? Hockey has to come from the player. So at one player, one point, pardon me, the player is the bus driver. If the player is not the bus driver, step back and let him enjoy the experience because that's not going to last for a long time. Mm -hmm. And and you see it all the time and you think it would be common sense, right? Where a parent really wants it. The kid's not as interested and they continue to push and continue to push. I, I see it on my team, obviously coaching in a rural oh. area now where you have some kids that really want it. You have some kids that don't. What, what's your message to those parents? I know you just answered it, but how do you allow the kid to take the reins and find their own game without you really guiding them? So I think as a skills guy, I'll talk to the, the player and we'll, we'll put a, an objective up. What, what are we looking for out of this? And he, he might say, you know what? I want to get in the dressing room after the game and I want to have a good laugh and I want to enjoy my time and feel good about myself. Some other players will be like, I need to win. I need to win. I need to win. Some players are like, meh. Some days I want to win. Some days I want to play. So I think once you have that message from the player, you have to balance it with the parents. And you might go to a parent and say, had a real good conversation with your player. He really wants to be challenged. But I think the pressure you're putting on him might be a little too heavy. He's feeling snowballed over in a cave that he can't handle that pressure. Can we back away and encourage him to learn to love the game? On the mm -hmm. other hand, a parent might say to me, you know what? I really agree with you. 
I don't even care if he plays anymore, but I want him to have a work ethic and, and discipline and team sport, that camaraderie. So that's really what I'm looking for. So then we try to manage the balance between the players. And I think honesty with the parents and the players is very important. And I've seen it a lot where, you know, even from a coach, you've probably seen this, where your assistant coach comes to you and says, little Tommy wants to play center, right? Because that's mm -hmm. the best spot. He gets more puck touches. He can be everywhere. He can mm -hmm. have a chance for more points. Tommy doesn't even want to get in on the forecheck. Little Tommy's <laughs> a D-man. He wants to be a D-man, and he's told you he wants to be a D-man. So balancing that act between player and parent is very important because the parent has a picture that they paint for themselves for their kid. And, and that's a very nice picture. Everyone, first line, center, power play, penalty kill. Of course. Not everyone's going to be that player. Someone's going to be the fourth line role player who plays six minutes a night, kills penalties, blocks shots with their face, and doesn't really get a point. So balancing that act and as they develop, guiding them into that is very important. <clears throat> Absolutely. That's a great answer. Let's dive, I want to dive back into your career a little bit. Let's talk about your time in Portage. Yeah. Going through training camp, coming into your first year, developing into your second year. Take me through your junior days. Yeah, so first year junior, uh, get to training camp. Marshall Kennedy leaves to go to Switzerland, gets a head coaching position in Switzerland, I believe in Rappersville. So Bob Miller becomes coach and GM, pulls me aside and says, we want you here for the year. I basically look at him. I said, okay, what's that mean? <laughs> no clue, right? I had no idea. I basically was coming here on a tryout to get in shape for my season back in high school or AAA. So he says, this is what's going to happen. So I signed the card and away we go. So first year, fourth line player, I don't know how many points I get, 30, 40 points, doesn't even matter. But the experience alone against playing against men and battling against men and learning the discipline of hockey, hockey has now become real at that point. Like high school hockey was real, but you're in a little bubble. Now you're playing in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League, one of 10 or 11 teams from 16 to 20 years old are the players. So there's a 16 or 17-year-old little puke like me buzzing around the ice. There's guys that are 240 pounds on the ice. I don't have a fighting chance against these guys. They're enormous. So it's intimidating. Like we go through line brawls. There's, we had a couple bench clearing brawls. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do so well in all that kind of environment at that, <laughs> that age, right? At that time, like I remember playing the Winkler Flyers in our barn. The Winkler Flyers team was in our bench. Like our head coach, Bob Miller, he might've been 5'10 at best. He's trying to split guys up and there's gloves and blood flying everywhere. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is insane. So we finished our first year. I do okay. Second year, I have now graduated high school. So I bill it in with a family, learn their environment. Pam and Gord Stinson have one son, Kelly. A super good family. They have their family rules. I joined part of the family. I work on my English. My communication skills is a little rough, but we get through it. And I have a decent year. I had a growth spurt. So now I'm as big as I am now. And we have some fun. We have a good year. And Bob comes to me and says, schools are starting to get interested. And I looked at him. I said, what's that? I graduated. I'd like to tell you I was an A-plus student. I wasn't. I was probably <laughs> a little more. I graduated. Let's put it that way. <laughs> My marks were great. And so I'm like, okay. He's like, you might want to consider taking what at the time was the SAT or ACT test. So I studied a little bit for this, but I hadn't studied in two years. And uh, what the heck was that? I don't know what this is anymore. Math, physics, English. Oh boy. So I take it and I pass. Marks aren't great. Have a great third year. Uh, a couple schools, UMass, Lowell out of Boston, flies me down for a recruiting trip. <clears throat> I'm a small farm town kid. I've been to Winnipeg. I've been to Portage of Prairie and a few other places. I get into Boston. Wow. 
that is a city. We land, it is pouring rain, there is people everywhere. I watch a game, I hang out, I meet the team, it's a really cool experience, but the whole time is so intense. There's people and people and the team takes me out after on a Saturday night to go have some fun and loosen up and meet some of the guys leave for a minute to go get something. They lock the door and he says to me, don't open this door till I get back. My eyes pop out of my head. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? He's like, this isn't a very good part of the neighborhood. And I think he was going to get KCB or something, whatever it was. But I was like, oh my God. So then Marquette, Michigan flies me down as well. <clears throat> so it's a small school, about 10,000 athletes or students, pardon me. The town goes to about 25,000 people with the school during the year. Gets really quiet in the summer with about 15,000 people. It's fishing, it's hiking, it's golfing, it's hockey and snow, snowmobiling. That's my cup of tea. That's, that fits my identity really good. So we go through that whole process and we, my parents and I decide Northern Michigan is probably the best fit. It's a small town feel. I got a real good vibe from the coach. Coach Conley is there. Dave Shyak recruited me. Dave Shyak is still a, an NCAA coach. I call for advice on how to help my kids and, and stuff. So a really great experience in Portage. I learned to grow myself as a player. Hockey started to get serious where you really had to focus on yourself and start to do things. <clears throat> so you're in college. Let's talk about your first couple of years of college. Still, did you have any idea or any inkling like, hey, you know what? I can be a pro player. Maybe there's a couple of drafted yeah. guys there. When did it start to creep in your mind? You know no what? Chance. I can probably make a living. <laughs> uh, it didn't uh, probably occur to me till at the end of my third year. So I get in my first year and part of the, the enticement for me to go to the school there was they were in a rebuild mode, which meant possibility for more ice time, code word. We were going to suck, but I was going to get a chance to play. And that's important to develop. You want to put yourself in a situation to play. So... I remember our first day, 15 rookies, Coach Rick Conley. This is, we're talking uh, 1996. Lines all the rookies up and goes through the list. Get rid of the earrings, cut your hair, goes right down the wall. I'm a farm kid. I got short hair. I got no earrings because that wasn't allowed in my family. I got no rat tail, so we're good to go. And we start the year. And, oh boy, we have some growing pains. We have a very big struggle through our year. I think we end up like a maybe a 15 and 25 kind of team. Not very good, but to be expected, you're dressing three quarters of the team as rookies and away you go. <clears throat> so that first year was quite an eye-opener. It was fast. It was big. I couldn't believe where I was in Portage. I was a decent skater, a decent player. But here, oh boy, I was just one of the other numbers, right? It was Coach Conley had good confidence in me. He played me a lot. Uh, not sure what he was thinking at sometimes. But I enjoyed the ice time and away you go. Coming into my second year as a sophomore, we really started to put a mark. I had a line with this two guys, Roger Trudeau and Buddy Smith. Buddy Smith, probably the, one of the craftiest passers I've ever played with. He played in Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. He was five foot seven, about 130 pounds. Wow. The key was get your stick on the ice and get open. He could feather a sauce or find you in the opening anywhere. So I knew that. And the other guy, Roger Trudeau, power forward to a T, six foot three, 200 pounds, could get to the net. And I was to make shift in between her. If he went to the net, I went to the slot. If he went to the slot, I went to the net. And we really had a successful year of building into it. Put ourselves into an NCAA tournament, which the school had not done in a few years because of the rebuild. So it was really great experience. We really got our feet wet. <clears throat> and at the end of that third year, Coach Conley has the team meetings, all the coaches do. And he pulls me in and says, a decent year. I think you need an agent. And I said, what do I need an agent for? He goes, uh, scouts and NHL teams are calling me about you. 
yeah, sure. I said, I got to play hockey another year. I told my mom I was going to graduate. That was rule one. And he goes, yeah, I know. But I, if you have the year you had again this year, you're not going to finish the year here. Get yourself an agent. I said, oh, okay, that's fine and dandy. I can do that. How do I do that? I no clue. I never talked to anybody, right? There's, there was no, cell phones didn't exist. There was none of that. I was living in my little bubble of uh, in the moment. <clears throat> so we went through a recruiting process. Coach Conley gave me, I'm drawing a blank. GM for the Carolina Hurricanes right now is? Who is oh, the GM right now? It's oh, Don Waddell. Thank you. Yes. Gives me the number to Don Waddell and says, you call him. He'll tell you how to figure out how to get an agent. Okay. So I, I call this number. <laughs> he answers. Hi, Donnie Waddell on the phone. I said, hi, Donnie Waddell. JP Vigier here. And you could hear a pause kind of like, what the hell are you calling me for? <laughs> <laughs> I said, Coach Conley gave me your number. He said, I'm supposed to look at getting an agent. What do I do? And he's like, you serious? I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. He told me to call you to get some advice. I, I really, I don't even know where to start. <clears throat> so he gives me a couple phone numbers uh, of agents he likes to deal with. And we, my parents and I go through the recruiting process or job application process or whatever. And we deal with Steve Bartlett. So I, Steve Bartlett had the same vision as I did. I'm not a high maintenance guy. I don't need you to call me every day and tell me I'm playing good or I'm playing bad what the scouts are. Let me play hockey and you do your job. <clears throat> so my fourth year goes and we have a pretty good year. Uh, we're supposed to have a, a better year, but toward the end of the year, we, the, the senior group and I get lost in our own pity. Our year's ending, our college eligibility's ending, our careers are over per se, right? What's next? And so we finish a, a little bit early and my agent calls me and says, I got two contract offers for you. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. What is that? He goes, no. We have NHL teams that want you to come. One was the Atlanta Thrashers, and I believe the other one was Detroit Red Wings. <clears throat> and I said, Detroit Red Wings? I'm living in Marquette, Michigan, home of the Detroit Red Wings capital right now. There is no way I can play for them. They have, like, Iserman, Fedorov, Lidstrom. Like, they are in the epidemic oh, of your Stanley up. Cup run. Like, how the heck am I going to play there? He goes, that's okay. We don't want to play there anyway. The Atlanta Thrashers <laughs> are really interested in you. And I'm like, that sounds... Why the Atlanta Thrashers? There's, I, I feel there's a connection there. And he goes, yeah, Don Waddell's the general manager. I, oh, light bulb. I talked to that guy once, right? Perfect. We end up signing with the Atlanta Thrashers, and there's my pro career. Honestly, I had no clue till probably the five days before I signed that contract that there was going to be a possibility of playing pro hockey. That's incredible. So <laughs> when your season was winding down in college, you thought, this is it? I'm going to go back to the farm? Or what was that? What was your well, thought process? My thought process, I'm going to finish my degree. I'm going to become a school teacher and live my life and grow old. At that point, I had no idea that my agent and I, Steve, we talked maybe once a month, just catch up on times, nothing really. I never clued in to ask, hey, is anybody interested? Like, where am I going? It was like, meh, whatever. And the season finished, and I think I sulked in my own pity for my career being over. And like two days later, he just called and said, we got to talk. I'm like, all right, let's talk. I don't really know what's going on. So <laughs> we talked and I called my parents. I said, dad, I think I'm going to get a contract in the National Hockey League. And he, he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, we have interest. Like, we got to figure this out. And so it, it was weird. You look back on it now, it's everything is, you see it all the time. Patrick Kane signs $2.7 million. There was no ticker back then. There was no, you just yeah. signed a contract and away you went. So it was really, it was quite interesting. It was quite nerve wracking and, then I was a pro hockey player. What, what was that conversation like with your dad and your mom when you actually signed it? 
holy shit, I can't believe this actually happened. <laughs> as naive as I can be, like I got my scholarship and I told my mom, I promise I'm going to graduate. Right. Uh, my mom never got to university. My dad got a university degree, but I, I said to mom, I'm going to graduate. I needed the four years of development. So it kind of worked out well that way. But, <clears throat> and then I was a pro hockey player and dad's like, now what? I'm like, I don't really know. I just got a letter saying I got a flight tomorrow. I got to be in Orlando, Florida, possibly play in three days. By the way, dad, I need you to buy me a computer because I don't have a penny to my name and I want to finish my courses so I can graduate a distance. I've contacted all the teachers. They're all good with it. But can you buy me a computer and send it to me? <laughs> He's like, really? You're a pro hockey player and I'm going to buy you a computer. <laughs> so yeah, so did that and off to Florida we went to finish the year. And so you played your first game like a couple of days later. Yeah, I played. Uh, Orlando was the farm team for the Atlanta Thrashers. They were in a... Play, just about to get into a playoff drive, but they had hit a big injury bug, so they needed some bodies. And I guess I signed a contract with Orlando because my contract with Atlanta didn't start till the following year. Okay. So I went in, played about two or three games. What an eye opener, right? First time not wearing a cage or a, or a visor. I went right to the be cool. I'm going to wear no visor, nothing, get my face punched in. And oh, I'm playing and I'm like, crap, this is fast. This is tough. It's, College is one speed, pro is another speed. Now add the intimidation of, you don't have a bubble behind, I don't care who you are, I'm gonna punch you in the face. So I played three games, I think I scored one goal. Uh, I didn't play a lot, I was like in and out. And then all the extra, all the healthy or injured players started to come back. And uh, there was no chance of me playing. I was probably 150th on the depth chart of Orlando at the time. And uh, I went to the coach and I said, I don't know how this works. I'm not gonna play, am I? And he goes, we're in a playoff run. You're young. Your idea is here to learn. I said, look, I, I promised my mom I'm going to graduate. Can I go back to school and finish my courses? And he's like, really? I said, yeah. I said, I appreciate being here, but I'm sitting in a hotel. I'm going to do all my courses. I'm going to do what? Practice and, and so be it. So I called my agent, Steve, and I said, I think the best scenario is for me to go graduate. And he's like, okay. So I went home, finished my, or finished, went back to school, finished my courses, graduated, and away we are still waiting to use that degree, but uh, that's the start. <laughs> <laughs> did you, I, I'm just going to touch on that and then we'll fast forward to the NHL a little bit, but did you have any concern when you left there that it might affect the way Atlanta looked at you? I don't know. I, I think when I talked to Steve, my agent, and I think he had talked to Don Waddell or the organization, to be honest, I didn't have a clue what the team was thinking. And he was like, the team's okay with it. Cause I was like, I didn't really think about the team. It was more about my bubble, my moment and the promise to mom to graduate so uh, i don't know uh, to be honest with you I, I don't think i actually took in the consideration of what the team thought but i knew i wasn't going to play so how much better was i going to get doing pre-game skates and bag skates for a month or whatever it was so graduating was important and in my contract atlanta was going to pay for me to finish my degree that was part of the deal is they could do that back then and, and those deals that they were going to pay for that so i believe don odell was like, not going to play I'm going to save money by sending him back to school and he can graduate then and I don't have to do it after. So maybe that was it, to be honest. I don't even know. I never even thought about that. <laughs> I was I was going to put you on the spot with that question because I always wonder that. There's always yeah. the politics working in the background. That yeah, to be honest, I really consider, thought right? about that. Like one of my best attributes, I think, coming through minor hockey, through junior, through college is being naive because I, I just played. I was in the moment. I played. I didn't really know about the next step. Like I said, I didn't know till the end of my third year that I had a chance to play pro. That's at that point, I'm 23 years old. Fast forward the 
naive into the NHL. So do, do you think that helped you? Do you think it was more of a positive that nowadays everybody has everything on their phone? They can see what people think about them. They can see what fans think about them, what the team thinks about them. Everything is out there. Back yeah. in the day when you played, even when I first started, there was only Twitter. But do you think that helped you being naive where it wasn't always yes. in your face all the time? Till I got to the National Hockey League, yes. And I think when I got to the National Hockey League, I was such in awe of the socks, the track suits, the jerseys, the other players that I don't think I ever felt comfortable in my own skin. Ray Ferraro, Ilya Kovalchuk, Andrew Burnett, Danny Heatley, Byron Defoe, the names go on and on. I'm just a farmer from the f- down the street. So do I actually belong here? Was in my mind a lot. And I think being naive till that point caught up to me because I never felt comfortable. Even in my last years, Scott Mellenby, Bobby Holy, if you want to go, Shane Knighty, all those guys I played with. But boy, I always felt I had something to prove. I always felt, was I good enough to be here? Because hockey, when you get to the National Hockey League, is not just hockey. It is a business. And that is very hard for people to understand. It is way different. Even if you play in the American League, the IHL, overseas, hockey is hockey. But it's not such a business. The National Hockey League is a business. That's as rudely and as nicely as I can say it. I completely agree with you on that one. I've been on the opposite end of that one a couple of times. And when you and you want to, you just want to believe it's different because you grow up and you build this NHL up to be this dream. And it's just gonna love you. You're gonna be part of a great dressing room. You're all pulling for the same thing. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's never that. <laughs> it's never that do you and i i know what my answer on this one do, did you ever lose that feeling throughout your whole career where you didn't feel like you had something to prove no no I, like every year i never had the chance to be on a one-way contract so there was always that carrot over my head right there every year i never had a one-way ever wow <clears throat> i didn't know that yeah so that was right there you don't put out you're going down right mm-hmm. So no, I don't think so. Even I went overseas. I had one two-year deal and that was it. And even then, that was my first two years overseas. It's how they got me there. And even then I was like, to prove myself because everyone thinks I'm a big hotshot ex-NHLer that's not going to try and do anything. I'm too good for here. And that wasn't my style. And then the last year, I got something to prove because I just come off an injury and I need a contract for next year. So I don't think at any point in my career that I ever feel comfortable or did I ever feel like I got this? <clears throat> if you had to look back on your NHL career, what's the best moment you can point it to? If you can point it to one. Oh, man. It's got to be the first game. Jeez, maybe. Yeah, first one is the first game. I don't remember most of the game. I'm playing in Orlando. We're getting close to the end of the year. Coach comes to me and says, pack your bag. You've got a flight tomorrow morning. You're leaving for Toronto. What's in Toronto? He's like, you've been called up. I'm like, oh, baby. I had a cell phone at the time by then, so I called my parents. Some, there's no chance of them getting to the game. So yeah, I get to Toronto. I'm in the dressing room. I have pregame skate. I don't even know what's going on. I'm sure everyone's – I feel everyone's looking at me going, this dude don't belong here. What the hell is he doing here? <coughs> so we play, you know, Coach Kurt Frazee pulls me aside and says, you look nervous. I said, dude, this is the NHL. I've never been here. I'm nervous. He goes, great, just go play. You've had a real good year in the minors. Just go play. Okay. But I've watched Hockey Night in Canada. This is Toronto. This is the Cats now. 
<clears throat> Toronto at the time has Matt Sundin, Caberlet. I don't remember who's in net is if it's probably I don't remember it. They have a list of and NHLers. And I'm like, we have NHLers, then there's me. I've never played. <clears throat> so I play, I think I play five or six minutes that night. And I remember vividly Drake Barahout known Sergey Berzin, I believe. Anyways, I get walked in the neutral zone. Like no <laughs> more. Oh, drag, it's through my feet. I'm looking down. I'm like, oh God, that's my last shift. I look back. He walks five other guys and tucks it. Put my head down. Coach doesn't even say nothing. And I'm like, well, it can't be that bad. He walked the four other guys behind me, but that's my first <laughs> NHL experience. Air Canada Center, Toronto, playing against the Maple Leafs. Fantastic. Number two is the first NHL goal. You remember it vividly. There's two stories to my NHL goal. There's my story, then there's the real story. <laughs> <laughs> We're playing the Colorado Avalanche. And uh, I get the puck. I toe drag Joe Sackick. I go around Rob Blake. I tuck it five hole on Patrick Croix. Holy smokes. Now you that want to just no. stop right there. Just no. stop right there. That's the story, man. That's the one I created in my mind. The real story is we're up one nothing with one minute left. They pull the goalie. Coach puts me out. Patrick Stefan takes the puck out of the zone. I'm just standing there at the red line. He gives it to me. I give it back to him because I don't know what the hell to do. <laughs> he gives it back to me and says, put it in the empty net. Or put it in the empty net. That's my first NHL goal. <laughs> first story is way better but <laughs> the first one was pretty good you're listening hall of famers and uh, hey they all count though they all nobody yeah. can take that away from you absolutely <clears throat> what would you say what was the most difficult thing you went through in the nhl the business of hockey i grew up playing hockey because you loved hockey and the business of hockey at times gets nasty and ugly and doesn't really care who you are and I never really got caught up in the business of hockey, but I think the business of hockey affected me mentally because sometimes I felt the dressing room wasn't always a dressing room environment that I had been used to. 25 guys pulling the same rope, having a good time, trying to get the same objectives. At times in the National Hockey League, guys are on expiring deals, so they need more ice time. They're going to be a little cutthroat. They might jab you to get an extra shift and extend their shift and do stupid things like that really don't build into a team right and i'm sure you've seen different examples of that in it where the national hockey league is a business and doesn't really allow you to be a team i think it's maybe being naive in the world but that is the bs of hockey that i didn't really enjoy i'm sure you've seen it in many occasions where guys on an expiring deal or toward the end of his career or whatever it is and he's gunning for more which isn't always best for the team yeah, I think that was probably the most difficult. And when you get asked about it too, I know I, I would answer it the same way as you get in junior and everybody's buddies because there's yeah. probably only a handful of guys that are going to go to the next level. And then you get into college or you get into the American League. It's still like only a handful of guys are going to get to the next level. Yeah. Then you get to the NHL. Everybody's there. Everybody's getting paid. There's tons of egos. It's just yeah. not ever what you expect it to be. Yeah. And then that's, I think that was the hardest part. And to feel... You always feel belonging in the dressing room. Like the safe haven for any hockey player is the dressing room. It's hard sometimes in National Hockey League to feel that depending on what your leadership group does. I can't answer that any better. <laughs> That's so good. I've answered that question a lot and it's very similar to that. And it's, it starts with your leadership. You talk about guys on expiring contracts. We talk about getting to the end of the career. Talk to me about the last couple of years in Europe, how you got to the point where it was time to step away and elaborate on that what were you ready for it 
walk me through it. Yeah, never ready for it. I should still be playing, shouldn't you? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm still in good shape. I can still play. I'm not in good shape, but I can still play. My mind tells me. Like, I finished my 2012 season in Bern. Uh, ended up losing in the finals. We knew we weren't returning to Bern. We had gone through a coaching change. They were looking to go a little bit younger. I was 35 years old. I knew it. I couldn't read between the tea leaves. It wasn't that hard to figure out. So we packed up our apartment, put everything in storage, and we were going to go play another year, Germany, Sweden, wherever. Come home, National Hockey League announces a lockout. Lovely lockout. Been through three of those suckers, and I hate them every year. And all the young guys flood Europe. <clears throat> the Danny Heatleys, the D uh, Tyler Sagans, they're going over there to play and have a good time, as they should. I'm jealous because I'm not young, and I don't have a job. So I'm at home, my wife, and I just start doing some odd, odd things. A little bit of TSN 1290 pre- and post-game show, working at the Iceplex along some of the Winnipeg Jets. Brian Little, Ole Okunin, Andrew Ladd, Mark Stewart, those guys are skating. I'm helping to skate, really. They're helping me help them. I'm learning as we go. Uh, lockout ends somewhere just after Christmas. Phone call starts to ring. Agents like, you, got, you want to go here, you want to go there. My wife and I discussed, there's six weeks left in their season overseas. I got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. <clears throat> and we decide that's the end. I'm probably not in good enough shape to go play for six weeks. I'm not leaving the family behind. Thank you. No, thank you. See you later. Now, what the heck are we going to do with the rest of our life? I'm 35 years old. Uh, what, what was that like mentally where... I had the same thing where, you know, COVID and I left my family and I didn't want to leave my family for a couple of situations. What was that like where you're trying to still chase your dream? You can still play physically and mentally, but your family's pulling you the other way. What was that struggle like? It's the best of both worlds. You want to play and have your family support you because without one, there isn't the other. So it's a pretty quick realization. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. Time to move on. Uh, I've been a hockey player for... I was 35 at the time. That would have been, call it 25 years. Since I was 10 years old, I was a hockey player. I started at four or five. So now it's, okay, oh crap, I got two kids. We got to make sure we have something for them, right? I can't just sit at home. I'm way too antsy. I don't sit still. You can see in the video, I'm bouncing all over the place. As we go. <laughs> uh, I don't sit still. I'm not very good at it. So we've got to figure out what's next. And that for any hockey player, you never leave on your time unless you're Wayne Gretzky right? Maybe Sidney Crosby's going to leave on his time. He's never going to leave. He's still averaging a point a game at 36 mm -hmm. years old. So what's next? I don't know. I don't know anything else, right? I have a degree in physical education. So we talked about maybe I could become a phys ed teacher. I contact the U of M. <clears throat> I send over my transcript and they're like, you probably have to take one year of updating your phys ed degree. Then you need two to three years of education. I'm like, I'm 35 years old. That puts me to 40. So we're going to go in debt while I go to school or I have to do this. This doesn't make sense. I, I can't do that. I haven't studied it. I haven't read a book for education purposes in 12 years. It's not going to happen. I can read the odd John Grisham novel or Harry Potter book, but that's all I've done. Mm -hmm. Study purposes. So forget it. We're going to find something else. My wife's a nurse, so she's working. She's doing lots. I'm odds and ending. I end up having a dad call me, Jamie Kagan, my first client. He's a lawyer in the city and he says, I've got 12-year-olds playing double-A hockey. You want to do some camp with them? Yeah, sure. Where do we do this? Let's have some fun. We end up having quite a bit of fun. It's a good little group. They're very skilled players. They're excitable. I'm still, I'm still in shape at the time. I still love playing on the ice, so I'm basically playing with the kids. 
and I'm dripping sweat and this is awesome. And you know, <laughs> the, the, out of the group, actually, it's quite interesting because that was 2013 or 2014. Cause there's two years of in between finding stuff to do, find out who I was. Most of those kids are almost still playing now, which is pretty cool of the group. I think there's two that are in university. Now the other guys are playing in university or playing semi-pro somewhere. So it's a pretty cool little group to remember to have from your first one of the six or seven kids we had. And then we came home and I realized, geez, that was pretty cool. Can I do another camp? So I would tailor toward that group age because I had a little bit of a following and kind of built off that and then slowly but surely built to where we are now or we're, uh, again, I'm on a stretch of 14 days on the ice. Yeah. Amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's exciting. It's nerve wracking. And you figure it out as you go. Beautiful. Great answer to that. We talk about how important the dressing was in hockey. Now removed from hockey, where do you find that dressing room? Like, where do you find that network? And how important is that when you finish playing? Yeah, it's super important because what's your comfort zone, right? Like you have that. I actually have two or three now. They've evolved into different sections. So me and my wife, that's the one that we sit on the couch. We talk. I have my oldest daughter's in university, so I'm half an empty nester. So I'm about two steps ahead of you guys here. Oh, yeah. Getting old and, and getting through that. It's quiet at times, but we spend a lot of time just figuring out what we're going to do, how it's going to go, how it's going to roll. We don't always agree. We work on a common ground and, and build from there. My other one is I, I got a buddy from high school and back in the day, there was no cell phone. So he went to Wilcox and when we would see each other in the summer, it's like we never left. Now he's got three girls that play hockey. So we talk a lot. We don't see each other quite often enough, but we do that. And, and the other one is my business and my staff. I try to treat my staff like my dressing room. We don't get to go quite as rude in the jokes as it used to be. <laughs> but Probably. I, I, I try and make it fun, right? Like for me, I don't want it to be a business for them. It's my business. They got to come out, work hard, do what I ask, but have fun. They got to come out and enjoy coming out because if I'm a butthead or an asshole, I don't know if I can say that, but I, yeah, it's not fun for them. They're not coming back. I want them to come back knowing, you know what? I have to work today. It's going to be a blast. We're going to have a hoot. I'm going to have some challenges. I got to work with kids. They might be tired. They might not listen. JP might ask me to do the stupid drill that I hate doing. They're, they're going to have a laugh, be it in the dressing room after when we're changing, on the ice, between breaks, whatever it is, they got to have a smile at some point. So I think I really try and take pride. The pressure's on me. It's my business. But my job is to help them have fun and, and grow themselves. What skills did you take from being a hockey player that you now use in your business? I, I know you're a skills coach, but from the business side, what skills did you take from being a hockey player to what you do now? I tell a lot of people I've been a first liner, I've been a fourth liner, I've been a healthy scratch. Two things that you can only control. How hard you work, how much effort you put into it. So those are the two things I do. Um, I'm on a 14-day stretch on the ice. I'm 47 years old. I'm on the ice every day. I'm the face of the company. I'm the one I talk to everyone. My phone's buzzing in my pocket. I probably got five phone calls to return because it's Friday and there's games. So it's, I make sure I work hard. I don't expect anybody to work harder than I do. The staff are there. I'm the lead. They take off my lead. So if I slack, they have the opportunity to do the same. And by slack, I'm not going to take it easy, but we're going to have fun while we do it. We can work hard, have fun. And then I look at every hockey coach I've had from my minor hockey years all the way to my NHL years and overseas where I take a piece of every coach that I've learned something from, good or bad, that I want to retain or make sure I don't do as a coach. Is there anything that you would have told yourself or if you could go back to the last couple of years playing 
uh, in Switzerland, what would you have said to yourself? Enjoy the ride. I think you're so stuck in the moment that you are busting your butt. You are focused on yourself. I think enjoying the ride is something, especially at the National Hockey League level, I didn't do. I was so worried. I was so perturbed. I was so stressed out that there were days you don't even sleep because you're scared of being sent to the minors. So I think enjoy the moment and don't worry about the business. But that's hard when you get to that level, as we've discussed. So do you, I'm just going to throw one more out there, Keith. So do you now being on the business size, are you enjoying the ride of building your business every day? Or do you use that mantra now that you, you wish you would have used maybe the last couple of years? Yeah, I enjoy the ride. It's a different kind of ride because now we're not, fo- like I've already organized now, we're focusing on what's next. So it's more of a visionary approach. The, the fun part is being on the ice, playing with the kids, seeing them get that first slap shot off the ice, get that first a 10 and two turn, make the crossovers without wiping out, make the right read during the play, whatever it is that, ooh, we're on the right track. Look at that guy. Look at that girl. She's got it. She can see the play. She's noticing the play. We're on the right track, but we're focusing on what's next. And that's always the hard part is being in the now and in the next. So I'm practice planning for next week. What's our spring look like? What's our summer going to be? We're talking six, eight months out. And at first I thought, you can't do that. You got to be here. But if I'm not over there, there is no next when we get through this first program. So you got to have that double vision on that, which is tough because I want the kids to succeed and I've got to be here now. But if I don't do it right now, there is no next. If I'm not prepared for the next, there is no now. So it's a double-edged thing. So it's quite interesting from the business standpoint of planning and organizing and I'm a routine guy. So whenever there's change, that stresses me out, right? I like to know what I'm doing, how I do it. And my wife appreciates it and really hates that I'm such a routine person. So it's about like, okay, I want to get better as a group. How do I do that? Ooh, that's change. Do I want to take this course? Because what if I don't get accepted into this course? Or what if I don't succeed in this course? Now does that fail on the business? Does it look bad on me? Does it look bad on my staff? So there's always the yin and yang of that. So it's quite challenging. It's quite fun. Um, but as you get older, I think you're worried less about others. That's the one thing I started to notice is that, okay, go for this course. If you don't get it, who cares? Apply next year. Big deal. That sounds easy to say. I'm starting to believe that, but it's hard in my heart because I am such a competitive person. Like, no way, man, that guy got in and I didn't. What the hell's going on here? I'm better than that guy. He's looking at, right? He must have put something. He paid those guys. No way. He got them That's my mind. Oh, fire away, Keith. It's so true that whole competitive nature that we, uh, at least as I've gotten to know you, Mister VJ, it's uh, we do care less though as we get older. Yes, I, I know I do. I'm like, ah, the hell? Who? What's what? <laughs> Who cares? Nobody really cares. Right? We see great job, man. Good job behind the mic today. JP, thanks for coming in, man. I appreciate you coming in. We, uh, we did it. We did round two here. The quality was great. The content was great. I thought you guys put on some, uh, put together good conversation. We see any closing words for today? Yeah, no, I want to thank JP again. I think I, I feel like I've learned more about you even this time. I know some of the questions were similar that we've gone over, but man, I could talk to you for about three, four hours easily. I didn't even realize the time. I wasn't paying attention, but uh, again, thank you so much for coming on with us. I think people are going to love what you had to say and why well, I, I think we're going to have to bring it back for round three. I, I would have so some, <laughs> something that jumps out for me, both you guys is uh, 
as I spend more time with you, Dale, and even you, JP, it's clear to me that as a, as a, as an outsider watching pro athletes, you think there's all this camaraderie and buddies and everybody's all best friends and hang out all the time. Oh God, no. It's a bunch of independent contractors that are all brought together that when it's all said and done, you guys all leave and go back. You guys are all like, uh, what's that? Uh, you're all snipers. You're, you're all mercenaries, right? You're all brought together to do something. And then when that something is done, you all go in your own way. And, and I'm quite, I don't want to say surprised, but that's been probably the biggest thing I've learned from you guys and just talking to other pros is that there's camaraderie. Yeah. But there's, yeah, that camaraderie has an expectation. If you can help me, you're my buddy, right? Oh, you can help me get an extra year on my deal because you're going to give me 25 pass. I'm going to score 10 more goals. I love you. Yeah. But you're not passing me the puck. You're an a-hole. Yeah. And then you see it. Then it's all, you, we all watch the television shows and we all watch the sports broadcasts. And it's all about this when in reality, it's really not that. And then what I've also observed too, gentlemen, is that when the game is over, how much you all really lean on your wives and your partners because that's who's been with you from day one. That's probably the, one of the only consistents that we have uh, is they're going to listen to the good, the bad, the ugly, the bitch session, the, oh my God, what are we doing? Get ready to pack your stuff. We're out of here. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's the exact impression I get from you, We see is that when I've talked to you, it's how, how integral Lauren has been by your side through everything, right? So it's just, that's just that constant, isn't it? It's huge. They're, they're there. I, I, well, I, I, some people met their wives when they're in the league. I know a lot that have met them before and they're there from the start and they're there to the end. And a lot of the, the unfortunately, the people that you meet along the way are not there at the end. So I, I would say your one constant is your partner and going through the different things together where you're living a high life. And we talked about that and playing in the NHL and making good money as opposed to what are we going to do next? Now I'm, I used to be a hockey player. Now I'm, I'm a YouTuber now. Like it's stuff like that. That uh, yeah, that was a big difference. Interesting, interesting. All right, gentlemen, listen, we got to wrap it up on the clock here. Dale, thanks for jumping in, pal. JP, thanks for jumping in, pal. Gentlemen, we'll do this again for round three, and uh, we'll all do it again here in the lab. Awesome. Thanks, guys. And I'm going to do a little uh, swip to the solo camera here, and we're going to try something here with the camera. Here, we're going to do that. We're going to do this and. Take Dale off, go here, go there, and say, I hope you guys enjoyed another episode of Live in the Lab with myself, Keith Billis, and the driving host today, Dale Weiss. After the buzzer, what goes on after the game? I learn things on these shows every single time we do them, and I hope you guys do, do as well. So I invite your comments within the feed, and uh, we'll stay in touch along the way. We'll see you guys Monday, Live in the Lab, noon central, Monday to Friday, noon, minus six GMT. We'll talk to you guys. Ciao.